Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Hi, I want to welcome you today as we continue in our study in the book of Exodus, chapter 1. And before we start, let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for being to us and instructing God. Lord, you told us not to be like the horse or the mule that has to be jerked around with bit and bridle. Today, Lord, we want to be, Lord, your children that are well instructed by you. So open our hearts as we open the Bible and teach us out of your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you follow along here in Exodus chapter 1, as I read here, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already, and Joseph died, and all his brethren, and Joseph, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. Now, in our last study, we saw how God took great care in the writing of his book to make sure that we could hold in our hands a record in these first five verses in Exodus of every head of each family that entered into Egypt. We saw from that that God is a God who is all about the individual. That's in keeping with how the Lord Jesus Christ sees individuals, because he only made originals. All things were made by him, it says in John 1, and without him was not anything made that was made, and what he made was originals, not copies. Every person looks different. Every person thinks different. Every person is different, because he loves variation, and he makes originals. And although there's only one door to heaven, and he is that door, as he said, I am the door, by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved or safe. There's only one door to heaven, he's that door, like the children's song so correctly states, one door and only one, and yet its sides are two, I'm on the inside, on which side are you? There's only one way to heaven, and there's only one way to God, to God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ said that in John 14, 6, when he said, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
So yet there's only one way to God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many ways to the Lord Jesus Christ, and not everyone has the same specific needs or challenges or obstacles that keep him from coming or that he must overcome for him to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, we have an individual named Zacchaeus, and to this individual, the Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke 19, 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And it says further on in that chapter, verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. At that time, it was the individual Zacchaeus. And what kept him back from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ? The idol of money. He was guilty of idolatry. Money was his God. And he had guilt from his extortion false accusation from going to the, his fellow Jewish people and saying, you owe this much when they really didn't owe that much, and then he pocketed it. So for this individual, Zacchaeus, his way to make haste and come down to the Lord Jesus Christ meant that he had to give away half of what he had and to restore fourfold of what he had taken falsely from his victims. That was the individual need of the individual Zacchaeus. To another individual, the Lord Jesus Christ said in John 4.10, to a woman who was sitting by a well, a Samaritan woman, he said, Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. Then it says further on in verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, go, Call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidst thou truly. At that time, here was this individual woman, a woman at this well of Samaria. She was kept back from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. She was trapped within the bondage of her own sexual immorality and the adultery and the fornication of it all was holding her back. This woman needed to be released. And so for this individual woman, this woman sitting at that well, in order to quench the awful thirst in her soul so she could come by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ, it meant she had to do two things. She had to acknowledge her sin of adultery, fornication, and to forsake that life, that sinful life. And she did. To another individual man, a well-to-do man who called the Lord Jesus Christ a good man, we read in Mark 10, 18 through 22, and Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that's God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these things have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. Let me just stop there. Think about that. Then Jesus, beholding him, 
loved him. What does that mean? That means that when the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to this man, when it says he beheld him, he beheld his individuality. He beheld the uniqueness of his person. He beheld his individual needs, the individual traps that kept him in a life of bondage, that kept him back. So when it says that, then Jesus beholding him, then it says he loved him. And so what did he do when he loved him? He packaged the Lord Jesus Christ, packaged up in his mind, a gift of words, a gift of a message from God for him as an individual. And so it says, then Jesus beholding him and loved him said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come, take up thy cross and follow me. Then we read, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possessions. At that time, that individual man who called the Lord Jesus Christ good was kept back by a secret imprisonment to money. He had a secret idol of money. So for that individual, that patient, that diseased person, Dr. Lord Jesus Christ prescribed the exact remedy, which was to sell what he had, give to the poor, and create a treasure in heaven. And then he could follow the Lord to an individual, an individual He thought, he looked, he saw the individual needs, and he spoke. To another individual woman caught in adultery in the very act itself and brought by a mob wanting to stone her, thrown down in front of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ said to her, sin no more. And that was her freedom. That was her message, the individual message for her. To another individual blind man, In the way, the Lord Jesus Christ said to him, you must confess publicly that you believe that I have the power to heal thee. What we see here over and over and over again is the Lord Jesus Christ looking on each individual as an individual and seeing the exact individual need of what was blocking that individual person from coming to him and then saying the right words, the right prescription to remove what was in that individual sinner's way so he could come to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we see the Lord Jesus Christ saying different things to different individuals because each person is an individual with specific individual needs. Sometimes we get frustrated because we say, I don't understand what am I supposed to say? What is the script? What are the words? And so we look at the Lord Jesus Christ and there is no script. There is no words of one size fits all. We never see the Lord Jesus Christ saying the same thing to two individuals in the gospel because he saw each person as an individual. And he took the time to assess each person's needs. And then he took the time to put his finger on each person's individual sin of what they had to confess and forsake and what they had to do to repent, to be freed that's exactly what's meant in Proverbs 25:11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. And as we see the master doing that, that's our example. He's our pattern. 
But we want to not do that. We want to not treat people like individuals. We don't want to take the time to see each person as an individual, to ask God for discernment, to ask God for the exact words that we should speak to each individual's heart. We don't want to ask God for that word for that particular person that would be fitly spoken like apples of gold and pictures of silver. And what we do is to not even see the person as an individual, and we give the one-size-fits-all message, and we say something like, if you were to die today, do you have 100% assurance that you would go to heaven? And when we do that, we send the message to the person that he's not an individual. We could be talking to a wall. And with the anticipated answer of, I mean, you know, 100% assurance, what a question, but with anticipated answer of, well, not 100%, then we'd launch off into telling them that if you do this one, two, three, repeat after me, then they will have that 100% assurance. The Lord is our great example, and he never did anything like that. He treated each person as an individual. He spoke to them, to their individual hearts, So what do we see here in Exodus? When each person walked into Egypt, God saw each one as an individual, just like we see each one of our children as individuals. And in verse 5 in Exodus 1, it reads, And all the souls which came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls. That word all is very, very important. When we stand back and we look at the scene, and what a scene it is of Jacob and all his sons marching, straggling into Egypt, and we realize that there was with all of his sons, there he was, all of his sons, and that word That word in verse 5, all, just takes on so much meaning for us. We see Joseph, he was already in Egypt, but he's alive, and he was preserved, and that was amazing to us. Joseph struggled. He struggled with his family because of the dreams that God had given him. Yet there's Joseph. He's preserved. He's alive with his family in Egypt. Joseph struggled with his brothers who wanted to kill him, and he survived. Joseph struggled with Potiphar's wife to not defile him, and he survived that. Joseph struggled in the prison, and his feet were put into metal stocks, and the Bible specifically says in Psalms that they hurt his feet, and he survived through that. Joseph struggled with the butler and the baker who were co-prisoners with him to him, to Pharaoh, and they didn't. He survived through that. We see Reuben. Reuben coming in. Reuben, who defiled his father's bed. He committed adultery with his father's concubine. Yet Reuben survived. He wasn't exiled from the family. We see Simeon and Levi, who are part of this group, who could have been slaughtered by the Shechemites because they cruelly murdered them into tricking them into becoming circumcised, and then they murdered them. We see Simeon and Levi. They survived. And just the sight of Jacob himself Walking into Egypt, it just about takes our breath away. It's amazing. We think, look at the life of Jacob, and it's a life of struggle. Jacob struggled as a young boy with his father for his birthright. He survived that. Jacob struggled with his brother Esau, who vowed to kill him. He survived that. Jacob struggled with the herd of animals to get for himself his own herd to provide for his family during the breeding and so forth, he survived that. Jacob struggled with his father-in-law, Laban, 
who wanted, and Laban said, I wanted to kill you, and he survived that. Jacob struggled with his wife, Rachel, who secretly kept idols that made God angry, and he survived that. Jacob struggled all night with God, who put his thigh out of joint, and he survived that and came out with a new name, Israel. Jacob struggled with Esau, who came to meet him with 400 armed men. But God changed Esau's heart, and Jacob survived that. Jacob struggled with his son Simeon and Levi, who he called instruments of cruelty that his soul should not come near because they murdered the men of Shechem, and he survived that. Jacob struggled with Reuben for committing adultery with his concubine. He survived that. Jacob struggled with Judah because he was the first one who married Canaanite. He survived that. Jacob struggled with the depression over losing his son Joseph. He thought he was killed by animals. He survived that. Jacob struggled through the famine, through the drought that was in Canaan, and he survived that. And you think about this history behind this man as he's walking or straggling his way into Egypt, it's just about overwhelming. And he came into Egypt and he stands there before Pharaoh and all those struggles of his life must have taken quite a toll and Jacob must have looked it. Jacob's face must have looked so lined with wrinkles and marks of struggling, a life of struggling. Each one of those struggles aged Jacob. So he must have looked like a very old, worn-out man. So that when Pharaoh met Jacob for the first time, Pharaoh was so impressed with how he looked and how old and aged and poor Jacob looked at that time. Pharaoh had just one question for Jacob. Genesis 47, 7 through 8. Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Jacob, how old art thou? That's all he wanted to know. How old are you? You look like a really, really old man. Pharaoh probably thought to himself, I've never seen a man look so old and aged. He must have gone through so much in his life. This is a man who's had struggle after struggle, if Pharaoh only could have known. He looked so worn out, and Jacob knew exactly what Pharaoh was getting at, what Pharaoh was talking about. And so Jacob knew he showed the wear and tear of all those struggles. So he replied to Pharaoh's question with the answer in Genesis 47, 9 through 10. Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 120, sorry, 130 years. Few and evil have the days of the years of my life been, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. What Jacob was emphasizing to Pharaoh is that he and his fathers had lived a day-by-day life. Life was tough. It was so tough that all they could really bear and stand to do was just see the trials and the struggles for that day, get through them, and then go to the next day. You look back and you say, wow, what do you know? It was a year. It was years. And that's why he has this phrase, the days of the years of the life. The days of the years of my life, 
the days of the years of the life of my fathers. And he said that he was 130 years old. Pharaoh must have thought, you look like you're 1,200 years old. But it was as if Jacob was saying to to Pharaoh, now Pharaoh, I know exactly what you're thinking. You're thinking, whatever happened to you in your life that made you look so old and worn out? Well, Jacob could have said, I'll tell you, Pharaoh. He said, there's one word that you must know that characterizes my life and characterizes the life of my fathers and characterizes the life of my people. And that word is the word pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. It was as if Jacob was telling Pharaoh that he and his people lived their lives day by day as foreigners, strangers, and pilgrims. So Jacob could have just as easily have said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I'm coming into your land as a stranger. That's nothing new for me. Every land I've been in, I've been a stranger. Isn't that true for the Jewish people? Even in their own homeland, they're being bombed out, suicide bombed out. Anyway, so the strangers and pilgrims, earth and Canaan were not their homes because they looked for the place where God was. They wanted a place that had real foundations, foundations in God. They looked for a city that had a builder and a maker who was God. And they could have settled down. They could have said, ah, now I'm here. This is my home, home sweet home. I finally arrived, but they never did. They always lived like they were pilgrims on their way to their heavenly home. That's why Abraham is characterized as a man who lived in tents. And they did not seem to get along with the world, and the world did not get along with them. In fact, they struggled every day through their lives. So Jacob described his days on earth as being few and evil. But with all the struggles of his life, and as bad as it was, he looked on himself and said, yep, I look pretty, pretty bad especially standing next to Pharaoh, who looked pretty good. I mean, there stood Pharaoh, surrounded with the finest that the world had to offer. Servants all around him, enormous wealth, pampered on every side. And by stark contrast, there stood Jacob, worn out, tattered. And yet Pharaoh knew that he was standing in front of a person that he needed to get his blessing. Pharaoh knew that he was standing in front of a man of God, and Pharaoh knew that he needed the blessing from the man of God. So Pharaoh bows his head before Jacob, and Jacob gives, and Pharaoh gladly receives Jacob's blessing. He needed the blessing of the struggler. As a matter of fact, with all those struggles in Jacob's life, it's no wonder to us when we read of the momentous night in Genesis 32, where we read in Genesis 32, 24, and Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. That night was like a comment on all of Jacob's life. He wrestled with a man and there wrestled a man with him. That's Jacob's life. He's the wrestler. He's the struggler. And then God commented on Jacob's life in Genesis 32, 28, and he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power 
with God and with men and hast prevailed. God saw Jacob as a struggler and a prevailer, and he had power in his struggles and in his wrestlings with God and with man. So for us to read in Exodus as we're here now that Jacob came into Egypt, it just about takes our breath away. Just to look at Jacob straggling his way into Egypt is amazing. After all his life struggles, he actually made it into Egypt. That's amazing. The whole family made it into Egypt. That's amazing. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 